University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. My earliest memory of pure terror was at Ringling Brothers and Barnum Bailey Circus. I was in awe of the, the tightrope walkers, the lion tamers, the massive elements. But then, do you know who ruined it? The clowns. Really stop and think about it. Just clowns in general ruin everything. And I imagine someone at home is actually sitting in their clown makeup and clown outfit that immediately just dropped their food in response to my such judgmental act that I have declared here. But then clowns, they try to make you love them by giving you what? They try to love you by, by giving you one of, of these balloons as if shaping this thing for you is going to somehow make you love them. Am I right? Clowns are one of my earliest concepts of villainy. Now, the Bible talks a lot about villains. Antiochus, Goliath, Pontius Pilate, Cain, there's a very clear line of who is right and wrong, who is good and evil, who is hero and villain. And the Bible calls villainy by the name of Caesar and Herod, but at the core of these stories are stories about fear and rejection and oppression and isolation and addiction and mistakes and so many crippling obstacles. We live in a world who faces these very same obstacles. We are a people who live day to day facing these very same obstacles. And yet these obstacles oftentimes prevent us from living out and being the person that God desires for us to be. And this week, in our Dumping Jezebel series, Boldly Stepping Beyond Life's Greatest Obstacles, we're going to focus on a sense of comfort and control. And for this, we turn to the story of Ahab, Jezebel, and the, and the prophet Elijah yet again. But this time we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 1. Now, if you recall where we left off in the story, Jezebel was ruling over the Hebrew people with fear. She was hunting down and murdering God's prophets. But then Elijah showed up, and God used him on Mount Carmel to call the people to overcome their fear and to bring them back to a place of faithfulness to God. But that's not the end of Jezebel's story, because it says this in 1 Kings 21. 1. Sometime later, there was an incident involving the vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, Let me have your vineyard and use it for a vegetable garden, since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard, if you prefer, and I will pay you whatever it's worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth, the Jezreelite, had said to him, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. And he lay in his bed, sulking and refusing to eat. His wife Jezebel came in and asked, Why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered, Because I said to Naboth, the Jezreelite, Sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said, Is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. 
I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So the city of Samaria is built by Ahab's father, Omri. And in another place that is located, he had another palace in the Jezreel Valley where the story takes place. Now, what made the Jezreel Valley so significant, what it, was, it was so contrasting compared to the rest of the Israel region, which was rocky and rugged and dry, this place was like an oasis in the desert. Its name actually means God planted. The soil was so fertile there. So it's no wonder that Ahab wanted to buy Naboth's vineyard uh, because it made sense. He's the king. A king gets what a king wants, right? But the problem was that Naboth couldn't give up his land. It wasn't that he was being selfish. It wasn't being that he was being controlling and conniving. It's the fact that this was his ancestry. This was given to him by his father and his fathers before him. This was his very birthright. This was the only piece of possession he had in his life. And there's no real banking system into this day. This is the value that he would pass on to his children and his children's children. But apparently a king doesn't get what a king wants. Until Jezebel steps into the narrative, you just imagine Ahab there kicking his royal legs in the air like a little child, spoiled because he can't get what he wants. And Jezebel's response to him, I'll take care of this. Now Ahab wants more. And at the root of more is the desire for comfort. And we can relate to this, can't we? I mean, not in an evil, maniacal, kingly kind of way. There's an age-old saying that we are creatures of, of comfort. It's true. Our, our ancestors passed along to us the ability to sense danger and poor health and precarious position. So biologically, we are called to take care of ourselves and those entrusted to us. And yet, we who live in the 21st century have elevated our understanding of comfort because we have an app for that. We have a new product for that. We have one-day shipping, a, a faster phone, quicker internet, less wait time. The idea of America, where its citizens rule and every man is a king and every woman is a queen, it, it, it permeates in our daily lives. Our American system has unleashed a market force that, that is created for our comfort. Technology advances us down the road. When we get home, we simply slip off our shoes, we, we get out of our work clothes, we get into something more comfortable, we throw on Netflix, and then we order dinner on Uber Eats. Just walk down the aisle of the grocery store in America, specifically the cereal aisle, and take in the dozens upon dozens of options we have there. One might ask, who needs so many options? And America's response is, because we can, we have so many options. As one author put it, the wanting of security is the most basic of our human desires. At its root, wanting security is wanting to survive. Surviving is security. We want to survive physically, to live on, not to die. From this deepest want of physical survival comes a desire for security. We want financial security. Optional security, material security, relational security, and this wanting of security and safety is core to every human being. America has been built upon the most comfortable civilization in the world. And once we have some comfort, we only want more so we can connect with Ahab. But again, not in an evil, maniacal, kingly kind of way. 
In the world of balloons, there's all sorts of balloons. There's the water balloon, there's the birthday balloon, there's the ones that you fill with confetti for the, the gender reveal party. But probably the most sought-after balloon is, is this twist-and-shape balloon, right? This is the one those clowns try to butter you up with, right? Don't think that I'm scared of clowns now, because I can see some of you trying to sneak into my office at some point this week dressed in full clown regalia. Pre-COVID, we took the girls out to eat at a restaurant, and there was a clown who was taking the order from kids of exactly what they wanted this balloon to be shaped as. Is there any better metaphor for the human desire for security and comfort than a balloon that can be shaped exactly the way that we want it? Have we ever stopped and considered the hard questions about our comfort? What's the drive behind it? What's the cost of comfort? Who determines the boundaries of our comfort? Is there a limit to our comfort? And in the busyness of today, we rarely and if never stop and consider how we get the products that we wear and consume each day. I mean, I know we know where we purchase the items from, but do we have an insight into the process of cultivation and manufacturing and shipping. So some of the products that we ate for breakfast this morning, the coffee we sipped on our, on our walk-in, the clothes that we're wearing on our back right now, they were, they were clothes and food and products that came from the exploitive labor of someone else. Organizations are getting smarter and more transparent uh, because the world is watching, and yet so many of the companies we buy products from today they, they, they subcontract labor so that it doesn't show blood on their hands that they're paying somebody $40 or 40 cents a day for 19 hours of work. Is, is blind consumerism the whole in our gospel? Does God not care about the people that, that have brought us these cheap products and these low grocery prices? And yet beyond what we buy, what about how we use our time, how we've set up our lives in such decadent comfort, have we ever considered that maybe our cost of comfort is the cost that someone else is paying? Maybe the deep theological question at, at the root of Ahab's story is, is what is the drive behind our comfort? Who is affected by our comfort? And, and the writers of 1 King tells us upon hearing Ahab's egocentric grief that Jezebel takes action. She sets a plot against Naboth, having him accused of heresy and blasphemy against the king and God. So at this community feast, she has two hired goons sit next to Ahab and lie, proclaiming they heard Naboth curse God and curse the king. The feast is set, the dinner is underway, the two goons play their part, the people believe their lies, they drag Naboth and his sons out of town and stone them to death. And when word reaches the palace, Jezebel tells Ahab he can go and take possession of his desired vineyard. See, apparently a king gets what a king wants, even if a man and his children are murdered in the process. You see, by law, Ahab could not part with this land. But if you have the man convicted of a heretical crime, well, then the matter clears itself up. With Naboth out of the way, Ahab got up, went down to take possession of the vineyard. A king gets what a king wants. 
I'm a fan of all four major sports, of football, of basketball, of baseball, and hockey. And there are very few players and teams I dislike, but without a doubt in my mind, there is one team that down to the core of my existence, I will never pull for as long as it is the last breath in my lungs, and that is the Dallas Cowboys. While the rest of my peers jumped on the 1990s bandwagon with Emmett Smith and, and Aikman and Michael Irvin, I ran so far away. But beyond my lifetime hatred of this, quote, America's team, their, their new stadium is what really did me in of my final conviction of pure dislike for this team. So yes, they're 72 foot tall and 160 foot wide. HDTV could literally fill, feed all the children in Africa for five years. But do you know how the story of how the Cowboys actually got their stadium where it is? In 2009, when the Cowboys finalized their plans to demolish their old Texas stadium in Irving, Texas, they did a few backdoor deals to secure the land to grant them to build this new stadium in Arlington, Texas. And with the help of one of the former mayors, the Cowboys organized um, and they acquired 162 properties, approximately 134 acres. And when the property owners refused to give way, people who lived in these homes for generations, people who had their businesses there for generations, America's team simply had the, the city commit eminent domain to condemn their land, to tear down their properties so they can build this monstrosity. But this wasn't the first time that Arlington had done this. They actually did this in 1991 when the Texas Rangers needed 13 acres to build their new baseball stadium. You see, as much as things change, they really do stay the same. When we get down to the root of comfort, there is a sense of control. Control is a way of gaining security and comfort. Wanting control is trying to make sure that everything in life goes the way that I want it. I try to control myself, people, circumstances, God, and everything else. I invest significant energy in this control plan. And when we want to maintain a sense of control over our, our circumstances, we want to make choices that matter. And personal autonomy is the prevailing American ideal. And, and when faced with a challenge, we consider our desired outcome and make a decision. This decision comes from our balance of our personal values and our cultural values, risk and threat and the complexity of the situation. And control is not merely forward thinking, but rear facing. Many people become consumed with the belief that their past could have prevented them from the present circumstances they are making if they had just made different decisions. And so therefore their decisions moving forward are so manipulated and so controlled. And a high desire for control is described as assertive and, and decisive and active and seeking influence over others. And whether it's about our own decisions or the decisions of other, control gives us a sense of, of direction and having influence in our world. And power is control over what other people do, their choices on our own outcomes. We were walking in the neighborhood recently when our attention caught this object in the sky and we couldn't tell what it was. Was it a flock of birds? Was it a, a hawk? Was it a drone, a hippogriff, a pterodactyl, a UFO? What, what was it? And soon we figured out it was actually a cluster of balloons that were flying into the heavens. Now, I can imagine a, a, a person went and they purchased these balloons and they spent a good chunk of change on them. 
and they carefully had balloon filler uh, tie them to an anchor. If you've ever bought balloons and walked out of the store, it's that fight of the wind and the balloons blowing in your face as you're trying to carefully get them in the car. And I imagine they got home, they tied it to something in the backyard, maybe a fence, and it was there for everyone to enjoy at the party. But the thing is, all those careful and precise steps taken could not account for the fact that there maybe is that annoying nephew at the party that just wants to untie those balloons to see what happens when they fly into the sky. You see, you can't control everything that happens to those balloons. Some of them just fly away. And this is what control does to our lives. It leads us to believe that we can truly manage and regulate what happens in our lives and in the lives of other people. And is the desire for control just a false sense of security when you really think about it? But, but the truth is that we, we truly can't control all things and all people and all circumstances and all emotions and all outcomes. And, and control affects us and others more than we know. As one author put it, our anxiety does not come from thinking about the future, but from wanting to control it. So stop and consider how your desire for control affects you. Stop and consider the, the competing and combative, uh, combative emotions that surge up in our minds as we deal with people and circumstances and outcomes and conflict. Anger and resentment and, and frustration, disappointment, confusion, unfulfillment, uselessness, unsatisfaction, out of control, anxiety and uncomfortableness, all are the wide ranging of emotions that surge within us as we deal with the things that seem to not go the way that we planned them, not the way that we expect them to go. How many challenging emotions do we deal with as a result of control? And not only does our desire for control affect us, but affects others. It affects how we treat people, respond to people, perceive and receive people, how we interact with them, all based if they do things the way that we want and we desire. How often do we find that we actually disrespect and mistrust and devalue and undermine others simply because they don't live the life that we want them to live? Is that healthy for us? Is that healthy for other people? Maybe one last illustration when you come to thinking about balloons. See, when you think about what, what is the purpose of a balloon anyway, some might say the purpose of a balloon is to bounce it into the air. Of course, you could tie a string onto it. Well, this one's not going to fly in the air because it's full of my hot breath, right? Just let it go. Some might say that a, a balloon is so that you can fill it with water and throw it at your annoying big brother. It wouldn't have been awesome if I threw this at Adam right now full of water. Would you be mad, Adam? Totally not. You'd seem nice of a guy for that to happen. And still for others, they think a balloon is like this, where we, we mold and shape it into the way that we desire. But I think... We all agree that the design of this balloon, its purpose, is so not that we hold it tighter and tighter and tighter until it pops. And what we don't realize is our desire for control is doing that to our soul. Because we're squeezing out the possibilities of what God has in store for us because we're holding on so tightly to what we think is best. The, the story of, of Jezebel and Ahab 
doesn't go the way they want. God alerts the prophet Elijah of their injustice. Elijah is sent forth to the king and the queen with a bold message. This injustice will not stand. You have chosen to take a man's life to steal his property for your comfort. Now your reign is coming to an end. And for Ahab and Jezebel, their end was as violent as what they did to Naboth. It's not exactly the happiest Bible story when you stop and think about it, but it does give us a perspective into what comfort and control can do to our lives. You see, the story of Naboth and his vineyard is one of the most tragic stories in all the Bible. It's a testament to what the corruption of control can do to ourselves and to other people. And unfortunately for Ahab and Jezebel, their story ends before they can rectify their actions. So maybe consider for a moment how faith is involved with our comfort and our control. For many, faith is presented in the classic words of Carrie Underwood, Jesus, take the wheel. Is, is faith merely a blind uncertainty in God? Control leads us to that mentality, emotionally and physically and spiritually, attempting to control the stimulus and actions in our lives. Faith is actually relinquishing control. In the most instances, to a higher power in God. And the belief that the outcomes that that God desires for us is what's best for our life. And life teaches us that we can never control everything. And if we're keeping store, the, the statistics simply are mind-boggling. Faith shows us that we care beyond measures. Faith means that we care so much that we mentally and spiritually go outside of ourselves to place trust and resilience in a God who knows what God is doing. But that takes hard work. It takes diligence. It takes perseverance. It takes a coordinated plan between you and God. And even if we try to do everything just right, gaining direction uh, and, and the control of that direction, life presents so many circumstances that are outside of our control. But that's where faith comes in. I believe that faith opens us up to the greater possibility than we can conceive in our own minds. I believe that faith is the opportunity to open ourselves up to see into a broader perspective. Will faith at times lead us to understanding of, of what God desires for us may be different than what we desire? Absolutely. Yet as scripture declares, many are the plans in a person's heart, but the Lord's purpose prevails. In their hearts, humans have plans of their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. On one hand, you could view these verses as God saying to you, you can do your best to plan whatever you want, but ultimately what I'm going to do is going to prevail. <laughs> you can view God in that kind of way, and that's working out of, an, out of a scarcity. But maybe what God desires for us is to see that stepping out of faith is an opportunity to live out of abundance. When we trust in God, then we trust God with all of our heart. We don't lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, we submit to God, and God makes our path straight. Instead of a life of anger and resentment and frustration and disappointment and confusion and unfulfillment and uselessness and unsatisfaction and out of control and anxiety and, uncom and uncomfortableness, if we relinquish control, then we transition out of those things and into a life of peace and love, and growth. 
maybe if we open ourselves up to trust in God, we're not working out of a scarcity, but we're actually working out of an abundance. We once dominated our view of others with disrespect and mistrust and devalue and undermining and transforms into transcendent joy and peace and goodness and kindness and mercy and love. God does not desire for us to live horribly uncomfortable lives. Instead, God desires for us to find abundant blessing, but not at the cost of someone else's well-being. God desires for us to have faith in ourselves, but also in others and God working through others. So maybe the call from Ahab this morning is to rethink our control and comfort. Instead of thinking that life is living out of a scarcity where we constantly have to grab and take what we need and what we desire, maybe we need to turn to faith, which is working out of an abundant possibilities. From our scripture this morning, we see the remarkable invitation to overcome our desire for control. We are created by a God who does not sit in some distant cosmos on a throne, but instead a God who is present in our lives equipping us to face whatever comes our way. This morning, may we have the courage to dump Jezebel and Ahab, getting rid of our desire for control, and following Jesus as we boldly step forward into life's greatest options.